0: Welcome to the Discover Church podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about this sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. All right, that's our Matthew 13. I want to continue with our series Average Joes. Okay, Just Your Average Joe is the series that we're in because, here's why we're doing this, because in, our, in the life of our church, there are so many people who feel just like an average Joe or Josephine. Okay, we're talking male, female, we're talking all of this, okay? So if you go, why do you say Joe? Because it fits with, there's Josephs in the Bible. Okay, so you hear me? This applies to all of us. But we feel average. We, we actually feel average. And here's why. Most of life is average, and most of life is what you live, Okay. So the miraculous, the big, epic moments of your life that, that we hope for, and that actually so many people preach all the time, the epic moments of life, like get, get that, that big miracle, whatever that would be, I don't know what that would be for you, but whatever that would be, that's not most of your life. And we talked about, we even mentioned, look, if you go, but Jesus lived an epic life. Well, Jesus, 30 years of his life was average. He was a carpenter's son, and then three years... He did miracles. And then you can look at Abraham, the story of Abraham, and what we're learning is this. The average Josephs in the Bible, the average Joes, teach us a lot. So last week we learned that the average Joseph, the son of Jacob in the Old Testament, taught us waiting time is not wasting time. Remember that if you were here, we actually talked about waiting on God is part of what it means to be alive, and it makes you feel average. It really does. Hearing from God and getting the answer that you want and all this stuff, that makes you feel above average. Okay, that makes you feel like strong. Waiting on God, you feel really below average. But as you look around, you play a comparison game, and apparently everybody on Instagram is experiencing God with their Bibles and their coffee cup and a sweet devotional in the morning, right? Everybody is, except for you, and you're waiting on him. We talked about that. And this week, we're going to talk about something that actually, I would say this, the principle, the truth that we're going to talk about, is not just a lesson that helps you through this average season and helps you learn about the character of god i'm I'm serious when i say this it is the principle that holds the entire universe together okay so i probably got your attention it is more than just the principle that you go hey that's good that's good living it's not what we're after we're not just after good living okay we're after what is the thing that holds everything together and and what we talk about tonight is that thing, is that. The principle that we talk about is that. So it's the thing that holds the mountains and the seas and the teardrops and the laughter and the universe and the stars and the families and the generations and the neighborhoods and the cities. It holds everything together, all, all of that together as probably the best-kept secret and the most countercultural claim that you could make in Christianity. And if you believe it, you'll stop feeling average because you'll, you'll realize something, that you're part of the creation. But if you don't believe it, you'll continue to feel average. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And you go, what is the thing? We'll get to the thing. We'll get to that statement in just a second. But I want to I first tell you this. I wanted to tell you uh, the biggest mistake, and this is not a joke. I know sometimes I don't, like start serious and then go into a joke. The biggest mistake that I've made in ministry, I think the biggest, I think, has been um, since I've been preaching, has been preaching the Bible as if the entire point of Scripture is about you. I think this has been the biggest mistake that I've made in ministry. Now, I haven't done that in years. Uh, but I, I just want to admit that to you. I want to lead the way. I want to be the lead follower tonight in saying the biggest probably sin in ministry that I've committed when it comes to preaching has been preaching the Bible, the text, as if the whole thing's about you, as if the point of the entire text is to make you happy. And I've done this in different ways. I, I, you'll go, of course you did it in that way. When I was a youth pastor, we did the superhero series. I remember we did this and and i remember preaching like having a cut out of the hulk i was literally the most stereotypical youth pastor but this cut out of the hulk and then be preaching david and goliath and then telling the students but in your david and the power of god the spirit of god's gonna come on you and you're gonna kill your goliaths you're gonna be stronger than the hulk and then we have a hulk altar call you know and, and everybody's like i want to turn green at the altar you know what i mean and, then, and I've done that, and then I'm not going to tell you how I, how I twisted Scripture to get to all the other superheroes, okay? But I, I did that. I did that. I was, I was that guy. I was that guy. But I've, I've, I've preached the text as if the text is a roadmap for your life, for you to get from point A to point B. Right? Like, you go, well, I want better finances. Okay, well, you're here, and the Bible says this, and you do this, and then you're going to get here, and that's the point of Scripture. And I've preached that. I've acted that way. I've thought that before. I thought, and, and it's been like, from this, from, from years ago, whenever I jumped into studying Scripture and I, I read an article on this, radically transformed the way I think about Scripture. That the point of the Bible is not about your happiness. It's not about my happiness. The point of Scripture is not so that I live a better life. This is not the point of Scripture. There's lots of books you could read for that. That's not the point of the Bible. And what makes you feel completely average is this. If you use the Bible that way, and you're using it in a way that you say, it is for me and my good. That's the end. The end goal is me in the Bible, okay? If you use the Bible that way, you will feel less than average because it doesn't work. It doesn't work in order to make your life all that much happier all the time. It doesn't work that way. And so if you're here and you go, I've I've said all the verses. I've done the devotional the way I'm supposed to do it. I've done done everything, and I'm still not seeing what I want to see. Yeah, because someone, like a younger Preston, preached to you somewhere that the Bible is all about you. And I'm sorry that I ever did that. And for years I've stopped doing that, and I won't do that again. I mean, yeah, it has maps in the back, but that has nothing to do with your life, right? They're the only maps in the Bible. The Bible is not a road map for you to have a better life. The Bible is about some character completely different than you, okay? So this is going to be shocking news to some of you where you go, I, I like when, the, I like thinking that God's love and his word is all about me. Well, of course you like thinking that. We all want the world to revolve around us, but it doesn't. So here's what I say to you. Some of you, it's going to be shocking. For others of you, you're going to be liberated, but by the end of this, we're actually going to respond by taking a posture, a very different posture before the Lord. So this idea that all of Scripture is woven together and that you can put yourself in any character, you can be the David, you can be the Samson, you can be the Jesus, that's risky, you try to do that, but maybe you're not going to do that, right? But you can be even the Joseph, which is the character we're going to talk about, which I would say you cannot infuse yourself into all the characters in the Bible, and we'll talk about why. And when you do that, you'll feel less than average, because your story doesn't end up the same way. And you are not the hero in the story. So here's what I want to do. Let's go to Joseph in the Bible. This is Joseph, husband of Mary, usually preached during Christmas time. So Merry Christmas, okay? That we're going to talk about Joseph and baby Jesus. And Joseph, husband of Mary, teaches us a really important lesson. And again, it is the lesson that ties, according to Scripture, ties the entire universe together, ties the entire story of Scripture together. It's this lesson, okay? So let's uh, read Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And what we're talking about here is just an average Joseph. Average Joseph. He was a carpenter. And some commentators say he might have been the only carpenter in the area, which is why so many times in, in the New Testament, you'll read, isn't this Jesus son of the carpenter? Not son of one carpenter, like the carpenter. This is like, he, he might've been, even in this church, we have more than one carpenter, uh, but, but not here. So, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, average Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, okay? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, put her away secretly doesn't mean like lock her up, okay? Let me just be clear. He's talking about divorce here, that when you're betrothed, back in ancient nation eastern times, when you're betrothed to someone, because you were going to get married, what typically would take place is that uh, you were already considered husband and wife. Okay, by this time you're already considered husband and wife in society's eyes. You haven't consummated your marriage yet. You know what that means, okay? And then and so what what it says is like the husband would go away to prepare a place for the woman and then the husband would come back and say, hey, I've gotten a house ready, okay? So you can imagine, let's say that there's a couple on the East Coast in California, and they're like, hey, we're engaged, we're gonna get married, okay, great. The husband moves to Denver, and then De- and they say, I'm getting a place ready for you, getting a place ready, and flies back and goes, you're pregnant, okay? So it's okay that you're like, that's weird. It is weird, it is strange, it is a little bit, like a little bit upsetting that uh, for Joseph to be like, but I've been faithfully preparing a place. What have you been up to? And, and what it says here is that he was a just man. He's a just man. So he thought, I don't want to bring shame on her. I don't want to bring embarrassment. And in fact, the law back then, some people would have interpreted the law. It's not likely, but some could have interpreted it, to stone her. If she was promiscuous, some people would have interpreted the law certainly with shame, to bring shame upon her. And uh, he said he was going to secretly, quietly divorce her. Okay? He didn't want to bring shame, but he also didn't want to marry her because of perceived unfaithfulness. Let's keep going. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Son of David. That's really interesting, actually, because Matthew, all of Matthew chapter 1 is giving you a lineage of, of Jesus, and it's very average or below average people in society's eyes, okay? So he's going, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So this is a child placed in Mary's womb by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I I don't know about you, but like there are times when I feel average, a lot of times when I feel average is when I think something's going to happen. I think that God is like, like Joseph probably thought he's going to marry Mary. Okay. I think something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. Not only does it doesn't happen, but God interfered with it. But God interfered with the entire story for Joseph. But the situation is not as important as the interpretation of the situation, which is the perspective that God gave on the situation. And so in the entirety of this story, you find Joseph, this average carpenter, average carpenter, that he has a choice to make. Do I listen to what God, the interpretation of my situation that God's given me, and what part did he have to play? You don't hear much about Joseph later on. Well, what you'll find is Matthew chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 13, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. You'll find verses like this sprinkled throughout. And when Jesus, I know this is going to sound like it doesn't connect. is like peanut butter or mayonnaise, but it does. It connects like, it's his jelly, okay? And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues. Grown-up Jesus, not baby Jesus anymore. And, and so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Now, some commentators will point out that this could have been m- in a mocking way. Like, is this the carpenter? Who is Jesus' Who is Jesus's dad, right? Is not this the carpenter's son? I mean, you can't read this and think that Joseph was some hero. He was very average. Is not this, his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did, then did this man get all these things? So here, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you what the big thing is that links everything together. That it's the principle we learn from the average Joseph, Okay. It, when I, I don't normally do this, I, I've, I've actually never done this before, told you how I prepare a message, okay? But in preparing a sermon, there's, there's part of it that I always do that takes the majority of the time, and it's finding what I call the CIT, the central idea of the text, and from that flows the CIS, the central idea of the sermon, And because I don't want to go off on a bunch of rabbit trails, which I I know I'm not good at not doing, right? But I'm just saying my goal is actually not to go chasing rabbits, it's to go chasing Jesus. So C I T, C I S and then and then there's Two more things. I go, what's the major objective here? What's my major objective? What is the, when, and here's a, what's the tone of the text of the Bible? What's the tone that's being spoken with? Major objective can be pastoral. It can be teaching. It could be all kinds of things, okay? What's the one word, what's the tone that's being uh, uh, spoken as? And then, what's the specific objective? What do I hope we all do at the end? So just to give you a glimpse into study time, every week I do that. In fact, the weeks I don't do that, Lisa will let me know. I could tell you didn't do like CIS, CIT. For real, we've we've like done ministry long enough to where she knows that. And so it takes a long time when you're studying text to say, how do I get this? How do I condense? What is the idea that God would be speaking to us? So here, I'm going to read it to you, okay? Central idea of the text. You ready? God used Joseph to make Jesus' name known in the mess and chaos of his arrival. I think it's pretty plain. Here, that took you hours. It did take me hours, okay? But that, that's the central idea. God, now, hear me. God used Joseph to make Jesus' name known in the mess and chaos of his arrival. And here's the CIS, the central idea of the sermon that flows from that. God is for his namesake not yours. You are part of the story but you're not the hero. Okay. That's the that is the principle that holds the universe together. God is for his namesake not yours. His glory not yours. He's for him like the end goal is praising God and glorifying God not you. And it means we are part of the story, but we're not the hero. Joseph was not the hero in the story. With all his integrity and the justice and the uprightness that he lived with, he was not the hero in the story. And you're part of the story, but you're not the hero in it. All the land in the world is to testify the glory of God. In fact, it tells us that the glory of God is like the water among the sea, okay? The mountains testify to the glory of God, but they're not the hero in it. No, no. The whole thing that holds this whole thing together, the, the, the story of the world is about God. What makes us feel average is when we think somehow we get to play hero right? Like, we get to be Hulk. That makes us average. Now, now I, I know, like, Halloween's coming up. You can be whatever you want to be. Do that one day. But the rest, the other 364 days of the year, you don't get to play hero. You're not the hero. So then you go, oh, this, this, this is what I came to hear tonight. Here's the MO, the major objective. One category of a major objective is a rebuke. And to American culture that's entitled uh, to me that would be tempted to think is all about me, this is a rebuke to that. And here's the specific objective. That we as a church will find joy and rest in the universe revolving around God and not us. That's my objective here. That's the whole objective. That we probably feel average. No problem about it. You and I feel average because we're not heroes. We're not the hero of the story. We do heroic things, don't get me wrong. You're courageous and bold. But the hero mentality wears off whenever it's just day to day. And what I want to show you, and actually show you why it's so liberating, you were never meant to be the hero. The whole entire story is about Jesus. The whole thing is about God. God is for God. Does that mean he loves, doesn't love you? Yes, he loves you. Does that not mean that his love is not geared toward you? Of course his love is geared towards you, okay? Like, I'm not talking about that God is not for you. I'm saying the end goal is not your happiness. This is not the end goal. The end goal is not that you can be extraordinary in other people's eyes. It's not the end goal. The end goal is God. The end goal of the entire story of Scripture is God. And sometimes he interrupts the plans that we thought were godly plans, He interrupts the plans for his glory, and it makes us feel average until we realize we're part of the story, but we're not the hero. We're not the hero. This is what it says in Scripture. I'm going to prove to you God's for God, and then we're going to talk about it. Okay, Psalm 23, it says... um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me besides the waters. You remember this? Okay. And, and then he does, it talks about, leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. And then it doesn't say so that I can be happy. It doesn't say, and it feels so good. It actually says, for his name's sake, is what it says. For his name's sake. He does all these things for his name, actually not for your name. He does all these things for him, for his praise. Not for yours. This is what it says. Isaiah 43 says, God created us for his glory. Isaiah 49 says, he called Israel for his glory. Which there's actually part of it where it says, I didn't, Israel, I didn't call you because you're awesome. I called you because I'm awesome. Like you're, you, and the text tells us, Israel, you're stupid. You don't have it together, right? I called you for, because, because of me, for my name's sake. Psalm 106 that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea for his glory. Ezekiel 20 says that Israel was in the wilderness for his glory, for his namesake. It even tells us, Israel, I'm, uh, what I just saw I'm not driving out your enemies. And then he says, and you, by the way, are stiff-necked and rebellious, but my name is greater than your name. So I do this for my glory. John 7, Jesus sought the glory of the Father and all that he did. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells us to do good works for the glory of his name. John 14, it says Jesus answers prayers that God may be glorified. Okay, it's John 14. Jesus answers prayers so you can be happy? No, so that God can be glorified. This is why he answers prayers. Now, we'll talk about how this gets you joyful. This is actually, this is getting you more joyful and happiness and joy are completely different things. Joy, joy is this eternal, grounded state in the character of God. It's joy. I have joy because I know who God is despite, in spite of the situation around me. Happiness would be circumstantial. Happiness is not bad. But what I'm saying is the entire text of Scripture is not about your happiness. It's about your joy. And how do you find joy in glorifying God? Because you're part of the story, but you're not the hero. But you're part of it we said it before here. If you weren't to be part of the story, God didn't, you wouldn't be here. God wants a world with you in it. It even says, and maybe this is some of your guys' favorite, so whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. You're like, yeah, I like that verse, which, by the way, we're going to have community dinner after this. So do it unto the glory of God, and I think it needs to taste good if you're going to glorify God in the process of all this. So all this stuff, all this stuff, it's pointing towards who? God. It's the Sunday school answer. Okay, it's like Jesus. Okay, it's pointing to the whole thing's pointing towards God. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph's life was for the glory of God. I'll say it again. God used Joseph to make Jesus's name known in the mess and chaos of his arrival. Joseph's life was for the glory of God, to make Jesus famous. It's really, really difficult for us. We love saying, my life's all about God, but to say, the end goal is the glory of God. Somehow it rubs us the wrong way. And you're in good company if it does, by the way. You're in good company. Lots of theologians have wondered, "How, how does that work? Does that make God an egotistical maniac? Or does that make God, if it's for his glory, the end goal of everything is to glorify him, is to make him known. In a second, we'll show you how it doesn't. Uh, when I was, how old was I? Oh, sophomore in high school. I was auditioning for a play. You'll, you'll know this play. It's called Aladdin, OK? And in, in auditioning, I wanted the lead role, as most people do. I don't know. I actually don't know someone who says, I going to audition, but I hope, I hope I get the worst role. I hope I have the one line, you know? But then you'll see which role I got. So <laughs> I auditioned for this. And I'm auditioning for Aladdin and the person who was my best friend at the time auditioned for Aladdin. And you know, we'd stay at each other's house and 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 say things like, Oh, you did so good, you know, you did awesome, man. And then we're just going, yeah, but come on, I need you to finally don't I don't need you to be the star today. I need to be the star. And so go through this whole audition process and we're waiting for the list to come out where you're just gonna they, they put your name, so they put press and omer and then da 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 and then they put your role. So I go, and I hear that I got a role. So I'm like, sweet, I got a role in Aladdin. And I look, and there's my friend's name, and it says Aladdin. And I go like, oh, great. He got Aladdin. What did I get? I got a boo. I was literally the monkey. I, I got, I didn't get, I'm not lying. I did not get one line. One line. I didn't get anything. I was a boo. So my job, let me show you my job. My job was to walk on stage like a monkey, okay, <laughs> and to go whoop, 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 the whole time. This my job. Was the, to do this, and I run off stage, and everybody's like, and then oh, oh, by the way, and then whenever you bow one time, I forgot to come out, and they're like, and this is Aladdin, and in my opinion, the monkey should be like second, if not. And this is, and I forgot to r- run out. Nobody remembered. Nobody cared. I just I'm backstage eating a banana, you know, like and nobody remembered a boo. It's the worst. I didn't even get one line. But you saw me as part of the story. I, I definitely wasn't the hero. I wasn't even a supporting role in the story. This is like, this is all. Of, scripture is, we're not the hero. Rarely are we even a supporting role, okay? So you look at characters like Moses and David, you look at these people and you go, but I can, like my life can be like them And what you'll find is the book of Hebrews is there to say, halt, (laughs) is there to say, wait, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. There's not even a supporting role. Like, their role was to point to Jesus. It's the same as Joseph's role. Joseph's role was to name Jesus in the midst of chaos. He's part of the story, but he's not the hero. Their role was to, they were a shadow, is how Hebrews talks about it. They were a shadow of the Savior to come. So when you read a story like David and Goliath, and you go, my problems in life, that's my Goliath, and I'm David. You're not David. Jesus is David. He's the greater David, is what Hebrews says. Jesus is the greater David. And you go, but my financial trouble is Goliath. No, Goliath is sin and death, according to Hebrews. And Jesus conquered it, which makes us, when we hide in the corner like the Israelites, okay? We're, we're, we're not, we, we're not even that role. It doesn't mean you're not important. It doesn't mean you don't have significance. But well, I'm trying to show you is the Bible, the stories of God, are about God. And when, when I feel average, is when I somehow think I can place myself, I can infuse myself into the text, and I go, but why isn't it happening? Why is, why is that not happening to me? And you go, well, because maybe David was a foreshadow of Jesus, and Jesus is the greater David. Maybe Moses was a foreshadow of Jesus, and Jesus is the greater Moses. Maybe the whole thing's about Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, the whole thing's about God. And you have a part in the story. A part in the story. But you're the one that had to be redeemed. You're the sinner who had to be saved. You're the one who was falling that had to be caught You're the one that had no self-worth that was infused with self-worth. Maybe that's the character. And by the way, that character is one of the most beautiful characters in the entire story. And he does infuse you into the Bible. And he talks about you in ways like, it is like a husband and wife, a church is to Jesus like a husband and wife where even though you're unfaithful, he will continue to stay faithful. He talks about you in this way, not in a demeaning way. Scripture says he sings over you like a warrior. So imagine a warrior singing praises while fighting the enemy. Reckless love. He does these things for you, but it's for his name's sake, because he gets praise when you are saved. You're part of the story, but if you feel average, it might be because you're like, I've done everything I'm supposed to, and, I've, and you go, I, I have yet to have that hero breakthrough. And I would tell you, you won't have the hero breakthrough. You have big moments in your life, sure. We praise God for those. But you're not going to have the hero breakthrough. You're part of the story. But you're not the hero. So here's, here's why this is good news, if you thought this was bad news. We just kind of had to get out of the way that all Scripture is about. God, here's why it's good news. If God is for God, he is not after, hear me clearly, he is not after my begrudging submission, okay? He's after my joy. So if God is for God, he's not after me begrudgingly going, I know what the Bible says and I've got to do it in order to make God happy because he's after my he's after my submission and he's no, he's after his glory and he knows because he made everything, he actually knows when he gives you the law, this is why he gave the law, when he gives the law and it shows our sinfulness, we can look to him and he gets glory because he saved us. This is, he's not after our begrudging submission. Us going, oh, I just have to please God today because the point of life in the world is just to please God. No, the point of life in the world is find joy in God and a joyous relationship in God. And that brings him glory. Let me explain it like this. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, I don't know how many years ago, did an interview where she said she, w- she was a believer up until she heard a pastor preach on the jealousy of God. Okay, and she said, God being jealous, I, I, don't, I can't be on board with that. So then she left because she thought that that sounded very egotistical. Okay, and you know my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, when he got converted at 29 years old, his biggest hardship in the Christian faith was that God seemed like he was Demanding praise, like praise me, praise me, make my ego bigger. This is what he was saying. And for Lewis, it was really hard. I don't know about you, but uh, when I read this stuff in the scripture, that's like it's about God's glory, it's for His name's sake, and all stuff. You can say hallelujah, amen, as long as you want, and then you're like, at a certain point, you go, but like, doesn't if if I did that in the world, would that not make me self-centered and weird? And for sure, for sure, it would. Uh, But but here's here's where the difference is. God made you. He is the most beautiful thing in existence. He is ultimate good, ultimate truth, all these things. And when you, the way that Lewis described it is when you praise what is beautiful, you fulfill relationship with that thing so follow me here so like if you're gazing at a sunset with someone and you're admiring it for them to put words to what you're admiring to be able to say it is glorious look at the colors of all and you know for me on color lines so, but like look at the colors of all these things it is beautiful and they put words to it it doesn't take away from the sunset it it just fulfills your experience with that sunset right it makes it, it same would go with a song that you're listening to or a piece of art that you're admiring or some would go if you're, if you're admiring the person you're dating or your spouse or whatever, and you're going, they're beautiful. You put words to it, and you write it down, or you do something. It doesn't diminish it, and it doesn't make, it just fulfills the joy. Well, the thing is, if God is ultimate beauty and ultimate good, does it not make sense that our praise of him would fulfill our joy? Does it not make sense that us praising his name would make us joyful? And what we've been taught in culture is, is that the, the fulfillment of joy is you becoming a hero. Is when the story revolves around you and you finally get the raise and you finally become CEO and you finally get whatever and the world is right. The, the access of the world revolves around Preston Ulmer somehow, right? And, and somehow, and that that's the fulfillment of joy. It's not, in fact, I would venture to say uh, characters in scripture who've had that happen, seemingly had that happen, have crashed and burned because happiness is very different than joy. The fulfillment of joy is when you praise God. Like this is the fulfillment, when you bring it for his name's sake. For his name's sake. It's not egotistical. He is the most beautiful being that exists in all the universe. The stars exist to bring glory to God. We exist to bring glory to God. You follow me? It's not egotistical. And here's the other part. If God is about God, and, and you're not the center of the universe, you can breathe out. You can just relax for a second. It's not about you. Whether the thing you're trying to do so hard that you're striving at ever succeeds or not, the story is not about you. It's about God. You can just breathe a breath of fresh air as an average Joe or Josephine, as an average person, and you can say, I'm a part of the story, and I'm happy to be part of this story, but, but he's the hero. It's not about me. He will do things when on your good days and your bad days. And he will love you on your good days and your bad days. Why? Because his love makes you praise him, and praising him fulfills your joy, and he's after your joy. He's after your joy. So if you could pause for a second, stop all the striving. What you're doing may have been a good thing. Joseph, what he was doing, marrying Mary, was a good thing. Not bringing her shame was a good thing. But God reinterpreted the situation by giving him a word. And it was actually to testify to Jesus. That is what God must do to us every day. Give me a word that testifies Jesus in the presence of this. It's not about me. It's about God. Okay? So I'm going to have Oliver come up. And uh, the worship team will have a really cool way to respond. Let me tell you, if you're if you've never met Oliver, don't worry, the people we've prayed over lately, they've been like going to Scotland and these different places, Oliver's staying here. But if you've never met Outler, Oliver, you should get to meet him. Uh, I'm Here's the mic, I'm gonna, he to, yeah, you're, you're so welcome. welcome. It is, uh, I wish I had your accent, just by the way. So uh, one of the things, when we were talking, one of the stories that he told me recently was about how Oliver was part of the story, but not the hero in the story. So, Oliver, I, I want you to tell us, who-, who sat with you in service like, a f- like two months ago?
1: So, uh, my, my father came out here um, for, to visit me for the first time in two and a half years. So this was a really, really big deal. Um, this is a man with a heart of stone, uh, a man who is aggressively anti-Christian. Uh, and he, he joined me in church, he came to church, it was un- unbelievable. Um, On the way into church, he he says to me, can I have your car keys? I said, Dad, Americans drive on the other side of the road. You're not going to get very far. Um, I said, what's wrong? And he says to me, you know, Christians have done a lot of damage in my life. um, And I don't like the words that you worship with. And I don't like the things that pastors say. I don't agree with them. So I gave him my keys and we're walking in. We're meeting people. We're coming to sit down. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, we're going to be lucky to get to the chorus before this man leaves. So, anyway, we're standing there, we're late to worship, and uh, within honestly, within two minutes, there are tears running down his face. Um, he's, he's crying his eyes out at the back, um, he puts his arm around me, and he tells me how beautiful uh, the worship is. Uh, he stays the whole way throughout the sermon. Um, but what he doesn't know is I've been praying. I've been praying for months and for months that, that the Lord will plant seeds, in this seeds of faith in this man's life, um, and we saw those seeds come to fruition. And I often don't believe in—I <clears throat> often don't believe in my own prayers very much, because you know who, who am I? I'm just—I'm just i am just am just an average guy. I'm not a great Christian or anything special. And I, I can honestly tell you that God did the most miraculous things that evening. That He stayed here. He stayed throughout the sermon, and uh, He worshipped with us. Incredible.
0: Hmm. So, Oliver, by the way, he—his dad—how many times your dad been to church? Twice.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Twice. Twice in his whole life.
0: And tell me tell about real quick, you got to pray with your dad, but the first time you prayed with your dad, this is funny, tell him the first time you prayed with your dad, but then the second time you prayed with your dad.
1: So the first time I ever prayed with my father, uh, not long after I became a Christian, he wanted to test me. So he said, you know, we'll, we'll gather with the whole family, not Christian. He says, can you say grace for us, you're a Christian. So I start saying grace, and he cuts me off halfway through, humiliates me in front of the family. He says, you can't say these things here in my house, this is awful. I don't agree with those things so humiliation um and then when he when he came uh, a couple of months ago uh, there's some really tough things that are going on in his life and i said can i pray for you he said he's kind of rolling his eyes he says sure um sooner i start praying for him and he listens to the whole thing really really receptive it's unbelievable uh, just how he's kind of mellowed and changed and the words that were coming out of me were not my own words. They, they just suddenly appear in my mind and I'm praying them and it's without a doubt it was God speaking through me into his life.
0: Um, so, yeah. yeah. Hey, Oliver told me, he said, I actually got four minutes of prayer in yeah. and I wasn't interrupted <laughs> yeah. at all. which I, I, That's big. Like four minutes of prayer is, is great. Give Oliver a round of applause. That whole story... Thank you, Ollie. Thank you. That whole story, listen. The whole story is when when he he's a part of the story okay he's not the hero he's even admitting his doubt in his own prayer he's admitting that and when praise and worship is going on when praising you know you know when we sing around here and it's like we're praising him about how great are you lord and also we don't do that because it just sounds good it's because it's biblical and it's supposed to f- fulfill our joy when that's happening his dad's in tears and his dad's being impacted right Because when you praise God, when you make his name known, and your eyes are off of your own world and all stuff, well, somehow your joy is fulfilled. You love praising beautiful things. It it fulfills the experience. How much more is it true that praising God, making Jesus' name known in the midst of chaos and mess, makes you part of the story but not the hero. The hero is God. we participate in God being the hero as we bring his name praise and we make his name known that's how we do it that was joseph's life so if you're a church person knew you know what i mean by that like you know when to raise your hands during the song okay you know how much you know when i say tithe you know what percentage that it like you grew up in church okay you're a church person you've probably exhausted yourself because you work so hard for God. You, work, you strive so hard because you go, but the whole thing's about me pleasing God. No, the whole thing's about you finding joy in God. On your worst day, God made a declaration that he is totally after you, okay? While you were yet an enemy, he died for you on your worst day. But I know you, I know the church person mindset because I have it too. You go, yeah, but on my bad day, I don't feel like God's with me. On my good day, I feel like God's with me. That's totally screwed up. It's not the, that's not the principle that holds the universe together. You're always part of his story, and he's always the hero. He's always the hero that came and saved you. You know heroes have to do that, right? You know, to be a hero, in all movies, they've got to save someone. Well, he saved the universe, and, and he called you out when he did that. So stop, stop thinking it's all on you. Stop, just let your shoulders rest. Slat your shoulders for a second and just breathe in and hear Jesus say, come to me all who are weary. All who are weary. Because the hero will give you rest. If you're not a church person, I want you to know that your sin that has kept you at bay with God and other people, all the wrongdoing that you know, that you're afraid to admit, you are junior varsity in comparison to the rest of Scripture. Okay? So the reality is if I were to say, has anybody in here had an affair? I mean, there, there, there's probably hands that would go up. But if you had an affair, and then have you have commanded the person to be killed that that was the wife or the husband of the I mean now we're talking David okay now we're talking we're talking that sort of person and then we get to Paul and Paul says I am the chief of sinners maybe you hate Christians have you stoned them yet have, I mean I'm, I haven't been hit okay so okay you have you stoned them have you killed them have you all this, and then, and on top of that, Paul says, I was saved so that you would know there's hope for you, and I'm the chief of sinners. You're not like, you're not as bad. You're never uh, too far for God to reach you. There's no sin that outweighs the cross is what I'm trying to say. So if you're a church person, or you're not a church person here, and you go, it it doesn't apply to me. I'm telling you right now, it 100% applies to you. 100%. 100%. He's the hero who saved you, too. You're part of the story. And I would invite you into the story. I'd invite you to be an active part of the story. I'd invite you in. When I was working uh, as a plumber on the Air Force Base in Albuquerque, one of the we started a little Bible study. And the guy who ran like the plumbing department was gas, electric, and sewage. I was sewage. So the guy who ran all this, I have a Bible study. He goes, I have a question. Can you come to my office? I said, sure. Go to my office, shut the door. And he said, hey, uh, I've killed a man before. Will God forgive me of that? And I said, yep. As I'm slowly walking backwards, you know? (laughs) And he said, I've done a lot of bad things. And I said, yeah. So have I. And I killed a man, but like, I've done a lot of bad things. And God is the hero. He's the Savior, not you. So I'm going to do a little, uh, something a little bit different. And I'm telling you, I felt this in my heart whenever we were worshiping. So it's it's going to feel a little different. Can you stand? Just, you can trust me. If you don't trust me, you can remain seated. It's okay. they are going to sing a song. Order, the way that we're going to respond is actually not to make it about us, but to make it about God. Okay? God is for God. We're part of the story. So if you're If you're a person that you're like, I've been exhausted, would you just, you can praise God because it's not on your shoulders. Like the whole world doesn't rest on you. And what we're gonna do is just to take a posture for an entire song, take a posture of adoration to God. So for some of you, that may be turning on your knees at your seat and just submitting and letting him be God. So it may be you going like this and you just sing and you let your joy be fulfilled. You take this life lesson from Joseph. You just let your joy be fulfilled that you can, in the midst of your mess and chaos, you can testify of Jesus' name. That's, that's you. Maybe for you, uh, submission is like like head bowed, eyes closed. That's fine. Maybe it's raising your hands. That's fine. All I'm, all I'm asking is that you respond in bringing praise to God and fulfilling your joy tonight. That's all I'm asking, okay? So I'm going to stay here and we're going to do that.